Do you need help protecting your finances as you enter retirement? David Dickens of KC Financial Advisors has got you covered. Welcome to the Cover Your Assets KC podcast. Welcome to another great edition of Cover Your Assets KC. I'm Walter Storholt alongside David Dickens, President Wealth Advisor at KC Financial Advisors, based in Overland Park. And on today's show, we're going to be talking about seven myths about Social Security. It's sad, David, that there are seven myths. I, th- I wish this was three myths about Social Security, but unfortunately, that's just how much uh, misinformation is out there, I suppose. Yeah, and these are the only the seven that I'm choosing to talk about today. <laughs> so it gets worse, is what you're saying. There are a lot more out there, but <laughs> these are kind of the top ones. These are ones that I answer a lot in my office with clients mm. and prospective clients. So I thought it'd be a kind of a, hopefully a real interesting podcast for us. I have a feeling we'll have some listeners who might believe in these myths. Don't be ashamed if you do. That's why they're really common in the Social Security world. And, uh, you know, things aren't necessarily always changing in Social Security, but every once in a while some tweaks and things like that happen. And uh, so that can often lead over time to assumptions turning into incorrect assumptions and the like. So let's dive into these, David. You've given me an advanced look at the list, so (laughs) I hope lead us through here. Didn't want to leave you hanging, Walter. I appreciate it. Hey, Social Security is... Is going broke. I certainly have heard that throughout, I don't know, my whole life, lots of things about Social Security, and that's one of them, that it's not going to be here when when you're retiring, young man. I remember hearing that throughout the years. Yep, and I hear it today a lot, and that's not true. I guess it depends on what you, how you define broke, but Social Security has always been a pay-as-you-go system. When it got started in 1935, here's the problem. We're having fewer workers to pay as you go than we used to. And we have a lot more retirees because we're all living longer. So when we got started, there were 42 workers for every retiree in 1935. And life expectancy was a ripe old age of 67. You couldn't start taking Social Security until you were 65. So it was super a sound system then. Today, it's not 42 workers to one, it's three to one. And we are living to an average of 85 years old, not 67. So there are a lot fewer workers putting in, and we're collecting Social Security for a lot more years. So it is less sound, but it's not going broke unless there aren't any more workers in America. Uh, so what happens, everybody probably sees something on the paycheck, that FICA, F-I-C-A, with it's your Social Security tax. So you pay 6.2% every paycheck out of your um out of your earnings until you reach 160,200 above which you don't pay social security tax anymore now your your employer also pays another 6.2% and if you happen to be self-employed you know all too well you're paying the entire 12.4% so as long as we have workers we're going to have income coming into social security right now though just in the last couple of years We've had more going out than is coming in, and that's the big concern. So as long as Social Security has been around, we have about a $2.8 trillion surplus, and that's held in treasury securities. So is it a trust fund? It's arguable. It's depending on how you want to split your words. But Social Security is likely to undergo some changes over the next decade that will make it such that there is as much money coming in as is going out. But I'm convinced that Social Security is not going to go broke. And I'm also convinced that Congress is not going to let it go unchanged 
In other words, that Congress will eventually make changes such that it gets on more sound footing than it is today. So it's not going broke, but it's certainly less cash flow positive than it was. Sure feels a lot like when maybe you are earning money in a job, but your spending is a little high and you're like, ooh, I got a little more going out than I got coming in. Doesn't feel great. Makes you feel a little worried. Know that you need to do something about it, but doesn't necessarily mean that you're going broke tomorrow. So kind of. And it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to make the changes tomorrow. You just know you need to you make need to know some you changes. Need, you need to make them, but that's right. <laughs> There's no guarantee that those changes get made. So we, we, we punt and adjust and find other ways to cope and figure it out. So. Something you'll always be keeping an eye on, I know, David. Uh, how about myth number two about Social Security? Uh, my retirement age is 65. Set in stone, easy to remember. Exactly. So that used to be the case. But now, um, I mentioned just in the, in the last myth that Congress needs to do something. Well, the last time Congress did something was Ronald Reagan put together something called the National Commission on Social Security Reform. He and Tip O'Neill, Tip O'Neill ran the House of Representatives, and he was a mean old dude, mean old Democrat from Illinois, and Reagan was a tough Republican from California. And they realized, if we're going to fix this thing, we have to have a bipartisan commission, because neither of us is going to do it on our own. And I'm confident that's where we are today. So sometime we'll have another commission that will get pulled together, and they'll make some changes. But back then in 1981, this change was made effective, I think in 83, maybe 84, was that the full retirement age was no longer going to be 65, but it was going to increase over the years such that today, if you were born in 1960 or after, your full retirement age is 67. I was born in 1958, so mine happens to be six, age 66 in eight months. So there was this increasing time, but most Americans now are born after 1960, and so their full retirement age is 67. Another overhaul is long overdue, and so what likely is going to happen is that age 67 isn't what we're going to have a decade from now. Maybe it goes up to 69 or 70. So that is certainly subject to change, and that's one of the factors that will help us make sure that Social Security is sustainable over the coming decades. Mm, sustainable and social security, two words uh, or phrases that definitely need to need to be linked based on our, our first myth, right? Those two go hand in hand. Uh, how about this third myth, David? Delayed claiming is always best. Let's, let's explain what delayed claiming is as part of this, I suppose. Okay, so uh, that's, a, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. But so your full retirement age is 67. Let's say if you're born after 1960, you can start claiming early at age 62 and you take less. Uh, you can claim as late as age 70, and you get more. How much more? Well, 8% a year from age 67 to age 70. So you get another 24% if you wait. So I have a lot of clients and prospective retirees that say, well, I obviously need to wait. And I would say there are a couple of reasons why I've seen people successfully not wait. Maybe not take it early, but certainly start at their full retirement age. So, for instance, if you happen to be in poor health, Social Security is built to be actuarially sound. In other words, if you live into your mid, early to mid-80s, it doesn't matter whether you started at age 62 or age 70. You're going to get about the same amount of dollars out of the system. If you die early, well, you wished then you would have started to Social Security earlier. So, 
you could get more dollars out. If you're going to live to 90, then the best dollar choice is to have waited till you're 70. But if you're in poor health, it's not, it's probably not a good bet that you wait until 67, 68, 69, or 70. There's another reason to take it early, and that's if you actually really need the money. And so I have consulted with some people who that was their best choice, knowing that if they waited, they could get more, but their financial situation was not such that they could wait. And then a third one I can think of is maybe you're, maybe you have an excess of wealth and you say, well, I'm going to hedge my bets. Maybe I do die young and I've paid into this thing all these years. So I'm going to just, I'm not going to wait till 70. I'm just going to start at 67. Or you might say, I got a lot of money, but there's some potential changes coming down the pike. And I think they're going to go after the people with a lot of money first. So I'm going to go ahead and start and, and begin getting money out of Social Security since I've been paying in for, for so many years. So those are three reasons I can think of that claiming later is not always the best choice. Okay, very good. So we've talked about Social Security going broke, retirement age assumptions that it's always at 65, and that delayed claiming is always best. Again, these are are myths, not the pieces of advice to follow. What about our fourth myth? Congress raids Social Security to pay for other programs. That's one of the big issues. (laughs) Yeah. So depending on what radio station you listen to or what TV (laughs) station you listen to, you've probably heard somebody allude to the fact that Congress raids Social Security all the time to pay for these other programs. And that's just not correct. There are two trust funds that are set up. I use that term loosely for reasons I'm getting ready to tell you. One is for retirees and their survivors. And the other one is for people with disabilities. And those types of people get money back out of Social Security. And it's loosely tied to how much you put in. So Social Security is a separate, self-funded program of the federal government. The federal government does, however, borrow from Social Security in that when Social Security runs a a surplus, which it's done for decades, those extra revenues are invested in U.S. Treasury securities. Well, everybody with half a brain knows that we run a government deficit Almost every year, I think there were, there were two years during the Clinton presidency when we didn't, but we've been running deficits, annual deficits. In other words, in the United States, we spend more as a government than we bring in. So we're always borrowing more and more money, and sometimes in the form of issuing treasury notes, bills, and bonds. And sometimes those are issued to the Social Security Administration. Is that raiding the Social Security program? No, because we're going to pay those bonds off. We, the taxpayer, are going to pay those bonds off, or more likely, we're going to reissue new bonds to pay for the old bonds. The problem we have right now is that Social Security is no longer running a a surplus. It's actually starting to run a deficit. So it's redeeming the treasuries that it has purchased over the years. And since the the government is already running a deficit, well, what it really means is that the government is borrowing incrementally more because Social Security isn't buying new bonds, but redeeming its bonds. So there's a lot of complexity as to where Social Security's trust fund is held, but I'm confident it is secure in that it's in U.S. Treasuries and we're not going to default on those or else we cease to become the reserve currency of the world. So 
we have problems with Social Security, but Congress raiding the trust fund is not one of them. Okay, very good. Working our way through these myths from uh, kind of the the workings of the Social Security system to what you should do personally. Interesting to hear kind of uh, how the myths are just so pervasive. It's not just about like, what should I do, but just about the system itself in so many different ways. Um, let's look at another myth. A lot of people, even with all these problems with Social Security, tend to say, well, at least my Social Security benefits are tax-free. <laughs> Oops. Right. Well, pre-1981, they were tax-free. But that commission that I mentioned 10 minutes ago, one of the changes it made was that it said, well, depending on how much other income you have, we're going to make your Social Security benefits taxable. And so it's a little convoluted, but here's how that works. If you are single, if you file your taxes single and you make under 25000 of income, then your Social Security is not taxable. But if your income is between twenty-five and 34000 then 50% of your benefits become taxable. And if you make over thirty-four grand, then 85% of your Social Security income is taxable. At what rate? Well, it depends on what your what your uh, ordinary income tax rate is, probably 10, 12, or 22%. If you're married filing joint, those numbers are a little higher, but not very much. If you make under 32,000 as a married couple, your social security is not taxable. If you make over 44,000, it's taxable at, at 85% of it is taxable. One of the changes that this commission, whenever they get around to putting it together, this commission is likely gonna recommend Forget this 50% and 85% thing. Let's just make Social Security taxable. And so it'll simplify, but it'll also raise everybody's taxes without them having to raise anybody's bracket at all. And then you also pay taxes in, in the 12 different states. You also pay tax on your Social Security. You pay state income tax. Unfortunately, for most of people living, listening to this podcast, Missouri and Kansas are two of those 12 states. Sorry, Walter, Colorado is too. So, uh, you know, if you live in Colorado, Connecticut, Kansas, Missouri, Minnesota, Montana, Nebraska, New Mexico, Rhode Island, Vermont, Utah, or West Virginia, your Social Security is in some way taxable. In Missouri, for instance, they have a bill that's currently, I don't think it's on the governor's, it might be on the governor's desk to... uh, eliminate taxes on Social Security. Right now, if you make under a hundred grand in Missouri, your Social Security is not taxable. In Kansas, there's a bill that's been passed by the Senate to change things around. But right now, in Kansas, you pay zero on your Social Security if your adjusted gross income is less than 75000 So the better you've done for yourself, the more you can count on that in the not too distant future, your Social Security is going to be taxable. And then depending on which state you live in, it may or may not be taxable there too. Very good. Yeah, definitely gets uh, starts to get a little complex when we start wrapping the tax conversation in with the Social Security conversation. But definitely walk away with that understanding that Social Security benefits do not equal tax-free uh, without further exploration and uh, explanation. So there you go. Uh, myth number four. Five, no, six. Uh, Delaying Social Security doesn't affect my spouse's benefit. Yeah, so spousal benefits have become a little trickier 
over the years as they've eliminated a lot of different ways to game the system. But your spousal benefit, first of all, definitionally, your spousal benefit is one half of your benefit at your full retirement age. So let me unpack that real quickly. Let's say that your spouse earned a lot less than you did over the lifetime, or maybe your spouse was a stay-at-home parent the whole time. Well, that doesn't mean that that spouse doesn't get any Social Security benefit. The least that they can get is one half of your benefit. But if you wait until 70 to claim yours, your spouse cannot claim that spousal benefit until you start claiming. And while your benefit has grown at 8% a year between your full retirement age and age 70, your spouse's benefit stays locked in at whatever it was, half of your benefit when you were at full retirement age. Now your spouse could, let's say they earned, but they weren't a big earner, at their full retirement age, they could start claiming their benefit and then switch over to a spousal. Let's say you're gonna wait until age 70. Well, then they could switch over to a spousal once you start. And probably one of the biggest benefits on the spousal of you delaying your social security is that if you wait until 70 and, and you die first, then your spouse is gonna end up with more than if you had claimed at your full retirement age. And that's because once you die, your spouse gets either your benefit that you were claiming or their own, whichever is greater. So there are benefits to waiting till age 70. They don't always immediately accrue to your spouse. Okay, very good. Yeah, interesting to see how those kinds of strategies and systems have changed over the years. Great examples there, David. Last but not least, let's get to myth number seven about Social Security. Again, unfortunately not an exhaustive list, but a pretty good smashing of it today. Uh, my ex-spouse's benefits reduce my own benefits. So anyone who's been through a divorce has all sorts of new questions about Social Security, don't they? Yeah, and I've got, usually it's a female I don't know that I've ever had a male that came up against this, but a lot of times the male would think, wait a minute, is that going to affect my personal benefits or my new spouse's benefits? And the answer is no. It gets twisty with your ex-spouse in that I've talked to a lot of females who didn't realize that they could claim on their ex-spouse's earnings record. So you're allowed to do that if you were married at least 10 years to that person and that your ex-spouse is at least 62 years old and you haven't remarried. So that's when as an ex-spouse, you can claim on your ex-spouse's social security record. And what you would get is 50% of the benefit they're going to get uh, when at their full retirement age. So, Again, for the, for the ex-spouse who was the bigger earner, that has no impact on your benefits whatsoever. It's just a benefit that the Social Security law gives to the person you got divorced from. And you do not have to claim before they can start collecting. And then, you know, one other kind of weird little, <laughs> weird little twist on this, this is kind of maybe a, a bonus. It's not really an eighth myth, but... There is, as an ex-spouse, so you're claiming all along on your spouse's, your ex-spouse's benefit, 
getting 50% of that. But when your ex-spouse dies, if that person dies before you do, you can claim a spousal benefit on that person. In other words, you get your amount gets stepped up to their full amount that they had been receiving because you were an ex-spouse. Their current spouse that they left behind, well, they also get that spousal benefit. So if you ever wonder how why is Social Security under so much stress, it's because we've added so many twists to who can get paid under this system until everybody dies. But that's a nice little bonus. If you're an ex-spouse and your ex-spouse dies, you might just get a step up to what they've been earning from Social Security all along. Well, David, thanks for breaking down these myths. I'm curious if somebody listened to the show today and they're like, yeah, I, bel- I, I thought some of these things about Social Security. I, w- I was a believer in that myth. I'm building my my plan and my future off of some of these myths, or even if it's just a small element of some of these myths, what to do now? I mean, we, we get the knowledge, we get the know-how that maybe something's not quite right. So then what's the next step? Yeah, so the next step would be to have somebody with some pretty good software do a Social Security analysis for you. And so the, we have that software you know, a whole lot of financial advisors do, you're going to have a hard time getting that software with a Google search because it's fairly expensive to own and it's updated on a regular basis. So you would really want to reach out to somebody who can do that type of analysis for you. We're happy to do it for you. Uh, And then find out, well, what are my options? With each additional law that gets passed, there's extra complexity that gets layered on. And if you do a Google search and you pull up an article from 2018 or 2020, there's a high probability it's going to be wrong because the nuances change pretty often. So reach out, give us a call. You can shoot us an email. If it's not us, make sure you find somebody who can give you a competent read on what your social security alternatives are. It's a really, really good program. It has cost of living increases built in. And I'm convinced it's not going bust anytime soon. So make sure you're getting the most out of that system that you can, because everybody you drive past on the on the streets or walk past on the streets, they are or should be doing the same. So just make sure you get what's coming to you. Very good. And if you would like to, again, reach out specifically to David Dickens and the team at KC Financial Advisors, I'll provide you the ways to do so. One is to pick up the phone, give them a call at 913 317 1414. That's 913-317-1414. Or go online to CoverYourAssetsKC.com. That's CoverYourAssetsKC.com. You can get all sorts of great information about David, the team, how he can help, and other fantastic resources there as well. And we'll link in the description of today's show to those various pieces of contact info so that it makes life easy on you, hopefully. Hope you enjoyed those social security myths. David, thanks for guiding us through it, and uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again next week. Uh, we'll have something good cooked up for next week, Walter. Probably tax-related. It's uh, it's that time of year. Might as well <laughs> dig into it with uh, maybe a few weeks left to go for some folks before final due dates. So we'll look forward to that conversation next time around right here on Cover Your Assets, Casey. Investment advisory services offered through ChangePath LLC, a registered investment advisor. ChangePath LLC and KC Financial Advisors are separate companies.